0: Please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This week's episode brought to you by Academy
1: Games and their new game, Agents of Mayhem, Pride of Babylon. A new tactical board game for two to four players is now on Kickstarter. Based on the video game set in the St. Rose universe, Agents of Mayhem Pride of Babylon pits Mayhem against Legion in a head-to-head 3D game with destructible play area. Already funded and currently unlocking stretch goals, Agents of Mayhem is on Kickstarter now through Tuesday, February 27th. Board Game is Anonymous, episode 158, Board Game Geek Hotness.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome
1: to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. See, I thought we would go into a 40-minute tangent about what's going on in the world, but I don't know. You up for that? Or
0: maybe just going into gaming? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just talk about all the things that will make people angry. That'll be good. (laughs) Everything right. you say, you know, you're making at least half the people listening angry. So let's do it. So it's like every social deduction game. There yeah, you there you go. Yeah. <laughs> or we just talk about games and then maybe 20% are angry.
1: There you go. All right. So let's talk about games because you hear about all the other stuff. Let's talk about some great stuff that's going on in gaming. So, Anthony, we have a lot going on in BGA and new stuff is happening all the time. What's something interesting and exciting that's currently going on?
0: Yeah, I mean, every year we do this uh, bracket, so everybody out there has been listening for a little while. You know that in March we do our uh, Trademark Distinct March Gamer Madness contest, and so we're going to take 64 games, not yet ready to reveal the theme, but it's probably going to be up on the website by the time you listen to this, and you'll be able to go in and fill out a bracket and guess what you think is going to win, and whoever has the best um, overall bracket score is going to win a choice of game from the bracket with a couple of caveats like what's in print and what's available for us to actually order for you but yeah it's a lot of fun and we do it over the course of two episodes in March uh it's coming up real soon so as you're listening to this hop on over to the website there should be an article there at the very top that will show you how to fill out your bracket and get prepared you want to get that done before the episode airs in two weeks for the first half of that bracket because that's when we're going to lock down the contest so yeah hop on over it'll be fun yeah fun and there's always a lot of conversation about Oh, this game should win, but it's going to be this one and I don't know, I think you guys all filmed the theme this year too.
1: So it's not going to be on ESPN, is that what you're trying to say? I'm working on it. They won't return my calls. <laughs> one day it's going to happen. ESPN board gamer geek, you know? One of those they, kind of things. They've done magic games, so why not, right? It's true. All right, so we got a great episode for you. We're going to talk about the hotness, the brand new and the games that everybody's talking about on BGG. But before we get into all that fun stuff, let's talk about what you're talking about. Anthony, what's our question of the week?
0: All right. I asked everybody, what game have you played the most ever? So (laughs) Ever! uh, Exactly. So going back, way back, your whole life, what game have you played the most of? And everybody, uh, I had like 40 or 50 answers here. Everybody had a game for this one. Um, some people gave multiple caveats like, oh, this is my modern board game. This is the old school board game. This is the digital game. is my video game. So people keep track of a lot of stuff. So we'll just, I want to run through a few of these. I can't read everybody's, but uh, you can hit up the Facebook group and you can see all the different answers here. It's pretty cool. Michael says Nations and Terra Mystica and Michael's on here all the time uh, talking about Nations and Terra Mystica. So I'm not surprised. Uh, Brian mentions Risk 2210. Uh, which is actually a pretty good re- version of Risk, so I won't I won't give him any grief on that one. Um, Nathan mentions Marvel Legendary in real life, digital, either Star Realms or Castles of Burgundy. So there you go, one of those uh, double ups. Some people were trying to be funny. Christopher said, yeah, this is the last pre-order, I promise, game. Um, <laughs> plays it with a spouse all the time. Martin says, dark is the night, so the game is super short. And that, that's a common theme here. A lot of these games are pretty short. Uh, Jerry mentioned Onirim and Codenames. Conrad mentioned The Grizzled. Mark mentioned Waterdeep or Cousin. So anybody who put a game on here that's more than an hour and a half long, I uh, was impressed by, because to have that at the top of your list, that's pretty good. A few people mentioned chess or cribbage or solitaire, which, if I'm being perfectly honest, probably for me too, all those hours in chess club in high school added up. Uh, in terms of modern board games, though, I think it's something... Terraforming Mars is getting up there. I don't know if it's quite up there yet. Uh, Marco Polo, I played a ridiculous amount the first couple years it was out as well. So one of those is, you know, in terms of play count, at least, is way up there for me.
1: It was Risk before I got into modern board gaming, and then it moved on to, I guess, early on Small World, but then eventually it became Concordia, and I don't even own a copy of that, so... (laughs) Not sure how that happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So if you like to get in on that Facebook discussion, check out Facebook.com and Board Gamers Anonymous is on there. There's always a new question each and every day. Some great conversations going on there. We really want to hear more from you and what's going on. Don't forget, you can get those same questions on Twitter. You can also check BoardGamersAnonymous.com for all of our social media links. So if you want to go that way, that's great as well. I don't think we mentioned this in quite some time, but we also have a YouTube channel. So if for some reason you want to listen to this podcast via YouTube, we're on there as well. Don't forget to back us on Patreon, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. All right, Anthony. So that's with the question of the week. Let's get on to our acquisitions disorders. So what's up for you?
0: All So I, against all, uh, every fiber of my being uh, this week, I'm going to share another legacy game. Oh, no. Um, I know. <laughs> Put these on my acquisition disorders every time I hear about one, and I've yet there's been one that I was like, this is amazing, and the rest have been like, this is all right. So <laughs> um, we'll get we'll get another one eventually that's amazing. um I haven't played Pandemic's Legacy Season Two yet. People have been telling me that's pretty good, but this one is based on an existing game, and it is a cooperative approach uh, to to card games. Um, that's Aeon's End Legacy. So this is actually a very, very good card game. Some people compare it a little bit to Sentinels of the Multiverse in kind of the way where you have a quasi-deck-building mechanic versus a boss that everybody has to work against. Um, but there's a lot of different things in it that are kind of different uh, as well. And this is the legacy version of that. So it has the, it's designed by Kevin Riley along with Nick Little, helping out. And it's on Kickstarter right now, actually, from Indie Boards and Cards. Um, I think this is the third Kickstarter they've run. And it's the same basic idea of the game. So you have this deck of cards for your mage, uh, your breach mage, I think they're called. And you will use these different spells to try to close these breaches and fight these monsters. And it's a very, very interesting game because it has minimal tracking. Everything's right in front of you. It's very streamlined. It's easy to learn. The way it's set up is very straightforward. And anytime you have a deck builder where everybody has kind of their own unique take, but it's also cooperative, so you kind of work together and see what everybody else's mages can do. is pretty cool. And this one throws in the legacy mechanic. So it has a bit of story behind it. So you have all these different characters who are building up their powers over time and getting more powerful spells. If you go to the Kickstarter page, you can see you know, how you'll be naming characters and naming the cards and ability names that you add to your character as you unlock different chapters in the, in the game pushes forward. Um, Artwork in this game has always been pretty fantastic. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, I really enjoy Aeon's End as a base game. And I feel like this could be a game more along the lines of like a pandemic legacy where you have a good, solid one-hour core game that has, you know, a streamlined mechanic that you can tweak and mess with without fully breaking the game. And that could play out pretty decently over the course of, you know, 12, 15, 20 games, however long it ends up being. I haven't played Aeon's End quite enough to get a real strong feel for what they could tweak in here uh and evolve over the course of a legacy campaign but i'm pretty excited to see what they do so that ends in legacy like i said it's on kickstarter right now and yeah it's up for another three weeks as we record so you should have plenty of time if that sounds interesting
1: yeah i think that this game is definitely ripe for a legacy and i'm really interested to see how it plays out and if it does play out differently because This game has been a game that's consistently been below the radar. I know that you're a big fan of this
0: game. So it's nice to see that it's kind of like evolved into something hopefully a little bit bigger. Yeah, I know. I I keep being surprised this game hasn't really exploded. I mean, it's popular and people like it and it's done well on Kickstarter, but it hasn't been like, you know, that last Sentinels Kickstarter made like three or four million dollars. This one's nowhere near that. It's not at Sentinels level yet. Um, it's a really good game. And I think as this in particular adds some lore to it, uh, it might be something that starts to open it up more and get it to more people.
1: All right, well, I want to talk about an upcoming game that is absolutely on my acquisition disorder. And I, and I think in, in a lot of ways, hopefully, this is probably something that I, you should know about because it's really what gaming, especially board gaming is all about. Well, not too long ago, a fan made up a expansion for Caverna. And this fan expansion, which was called Caverna Race Packs, did so exceptionally well that the company actually picked it up and now they're producing us. Now, I know this also happened with Scythe with their you know, Flying Ships expansion. So this is just another example of the small and wonderful community of board gaming. And I want to give a shout out to Alex Wilbur or Llama Beast his screen name on Board Game Geek so that everyone can give him a you know shout out for the great work that he's done but I listened to an interview recently about this expansion and basically if you love Caverna this is going to add a lot more to it because it's going to add unique player powers so you don't have to play as the dwarves you can play as one of many different fantasy races so in this new expansion Caverna Lost Peoples you get to pick a starting race and that starting race is going to have a special ability and also could have something actually working against them. So like a positive as far as like, you know what? They can produce more food, but turns out they're also really hungry. So that might be something challenging to to deal with if you're playing the Hobbit. So it it kind of alters the whole economic structure of Caverna, which typically is here are all the tiles out there on the board. This game is not going to change other than what combination you might take or what things might be available, this kind of mixes it up a little bit. Adding a race power is typically what a lot of games do that don't start with a asymmetrical kind of gameplay element to it. And in addition to that, there'll be four rooms that you can add to the game that replaces other rooms in the game that comes with each race. So in total, with this expansion, you could have 32 new rooms. I guess you can kind of just throw all of them into the game, but... Um, I believe, at least from what I can tell from the fan-made expansion, that these rooms work better with these races, but I guess can be selected by all the different races in the game. So eight new races, four new rooms. There's going to be a a bunch of different kind of changes here from the fan expansion, probably just a little bit on the tweaking side. But basically, this is just another way to play Caverna, bring new people to the table, and maybe add some more thematical challenges to the
0: game. That's so cool. because like, really, any game like that. And Caverna is, like, one of the few ones that doesn't really have some form of randomization. Like, all of his other games have a cards or something to give you a different feel each time. This one's just, I guess the tiles could be different that you are accessible, but it's otherwise kind of the same game.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And it's nice to see because Caverna hasn't had an expansion, at least not a major expansion. They have had, like, little mini kind of promo expansions. So, hopefully, this gets the game back out to the table, and we'll see how this plays out as far as changing the game state when it finally hits shelves. All right, so that's our acquisitions disorders. As I said, check these things out, might be something of great interest for you. And especially with the Caverna expansion, you can print and play that out right now. So, check that out on Board Game Geek. All right, Anthony, let's get on to our At the Table with BGA. So, what have you got to the table, and how's it going?
0: All right, um, so I got a chance to play a game called Valletta. This is a relatively recent release from Z-Man Games, uh, designer Stefan Dora, and you probably have seen it, but maybe don't remember because it is yet another Clemens Franz illustrated Euro with a guy in a bright colored cloak looking at a city. Um, it just looks like every I know that game. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that guy. <laughs> uh, so Stefan Dora, though, he makes kind of lighter games. He made uh, For Sale is one of his games, for example, and... This game definitely fits into that kind of weight where it's a lighter to mid-weight euro. It takes 40 to 90 minutes, but i hard-pressed to see how it would run that long. It's, it's pretty light and quick. And the basic idea of the game is you are going to have a hand of cards. You start the game, everybody starts the game with the same cards, and you're going to use those cards to generate resources and then purchase different cards on the tableau, the central tableau that everybody shares. And so how that works is there are multiple different types of cards out there. Um, There's blue ones and yellow ones and green ones, and they each kind of correspond to different types of things. But each of them will produce something, whether it's money or brick or wood or stone. Um, They're also worth a certain number of victory points. And each of them, when you build a building there, will give you a new card that you put into your hand for future use. So it kind of has a little bit of that Concordia feel where you have a limited hand and you're gonna spend those cards until you pull them all back up into your hand, but you can expand that as well. So. There are also ways to get rid of cards from your hand to thin it out a little bit, and cycle through those cards a little bit faster and get better cards. So it's it's interesting in that way. the The real challenge to the game is that early on, it's kind of slow. You don't start with anything. This is another one of those games that starts a little bit too early. Uh, so you you have to play these cards that generate one or two resources and just build up enough resources to actually go out and build a building, and then you kind of do that again and build another building. The Thing about the game, though, is that you actually get discounts if you build buildings next to each other. So as you build them out and as you kind of spread your buildings across this tableau, uh, buildings start to get a little bit cheaper. You start to produce a little bit more resources every time you play a card. Um, You start to generate victory points when you play cards. So things start to chain together about maybe 40% of the way through the game. And then things really start to pick up. As you go along, you're gonna be moving along the victory point track, which only goes up to 25. It's pretty short and it does have little tokens so you can go back and forth. And then there's also a little purple guy who moves along this track. And every time you play a certain card, he'll move along this track, you take the barrel, you get the bonus, that's under the barrel. Um, if he gets to the end of that track, that's 25 spaces, then the game ends. Um, I played this a couple times now, the game did not end by this, but he was pretty close. The other way the game can end is if somebody puts out all their houses. So everybody has eight of these houses. If you build eight or put out eight cards, you're going to end the game that way as well. So on your turn, you're going to be able to put out multiple cards, activate each of those cards, take the different items that you're taking, discard those cards, draw up a new hand. That's it. It's very simple, very, very easy to teach. The rule book is maybe three pages. And then there's a separate book that just tells you what all the cards do. I think I could teach this game in five minutes, easy, and just let people look at the appendix for the cards and what they do. I like it. I like the idea of the engine building. I like how simple it is. I like how, you know, kind of accessible it is um, for kind of a two, two and a half weight euro. I just don't like how long it takes to build up. You know, anytime a game takes 30 minutes of the, you know, 70 to 80 that you're going to be playing it, just to get some momentum behind it so you can do something interesting and kind of uh, an engine that actually snowballs a little bit uh it just people get bored so it's a tough game early on i don't find myself wanting to get it back out the couple times i played it though i did have fun towards the end um i'd say give it a play if you see it at the table definitely not worth a pickup though because it is uh it just doesn't stand out among other games of the same weight that have Kind of a quicker, more fulfilling feel to their engine building. This, at least the
1: look of this, and like as you're explaining the weight of this game, kind of reminds me a little bit of Majesty for the Realm. How does that kind of like compare to that, as far as like gameplay and weight is concerned?
0: It's definitely heavier than that. I mean, yeah, I give that with like a one and a half. This is more like a two and a half, but it's uh, not that much more complicated. I mean, sure. the difference is that this one has you know, a couple dozen different cards that can be out there. The tableau is going to have a minimum of 20 cards, um, if in a two-player game, and then uh, 30, and then up to 40 in a four-player game that are spread out across the table. Uh, so you end up with quite a few cards in this city uh, that you're building out, and so there's a lot of things to keep track of. You have how the cards play off each other, how the different productions play, Uh, chain off of each other how you're going to generate points in the end game because you really don't score any points early in the game but Later in the game You want to have cards that are going to be helpful to you to generate points Um, Because if you don't somehow put a punctuation mark on that engine that you've built you're gonna lose So there are definitely a lot of things to think through and can get a little thinky Some people had some AP, but it's not a heavy euro by any means.
1: All right, so a game I want to talk about is a new release from a series that we've really kind of fallen in love with as far as the games are concerned. And that game's called A Column of Fire. Now, you probably already know, I guess, the really famous game that Anthony recently reviewed called The Pillars of the Earth. Now, these two games and a third game, World Without End, are based in Ken Follett's Kingsbridge series of books and, I guess, TV show and just really kind of almost like a cinematic universe. So this game itself is dealing with, as all these books, in this particular alternate universe that utilizes and speaks about some of the history where, where Queen Elizabeth has come to power as the first Protestant leader in Europe. Now, this kind of throws everything out of Kiel as Catholics and Protestants throughout Europe are, you know, battling for power. There's a lot of religious strife at the time. And Queen Elizabeth goes about putting together a secret service. To protect her and her kingdom from all of these religious strife and conflicts that are going on throughout europe so in the game itself what you're going to find is i would say a light to a medium weight euro so think about the in the range of about a 2.5 like anthony was talking about recently it's not light but it's definitely not heavy now in particular when you look at this game it's a beautiful board on the on the table and it depicts the different regions of europe obviously not as not as they would appear on a map, but in beautiful illustrations of these different areas. So you have Spain, you have England, you have the Netherlands, you have France. And basically what you're doing is at the start of the game, you are given a particular card that's going to show you your starting religion. So you can either be a Catholic or a Protestant. It's going to show your starting resources. And then you're going to have a handful of dice. Now, this is the really interesting part of the game because... The dice plays a countdown timer throughout the game on each individual card that you play. So when you play your Protestant card, you're going to roll the black die, and that tells you how many rounds you are going to remain a Protestant. At some point, it's going to click down to one and then click down to zero, and then you are going to have to decide if you want to stay Catholic or Protestant, roll the die again, and then you'll see how long you will stay as that religion. Now, this plays a very big part in the game because each of the players are going to kind of switch allegiances throughout the game in order to score victory points and basically claim bonuses that come with either being a minority religion or having the majority of a religion in a particular country that deals with a religious strife at the time. So if you happen to be Protestant and there's religious strife in Spain and there happens to be a majority of Protestants in Spain at that time, Then you're going to score additional victory points, and you're going to knock the Catholics out of that area. Now, throughout the game, you are going to be choosing a card. Now, the cards that you choose from are from these different countries that are available throughout the game. So basically, you're going to have four countries in play, and so therefore, you're going to have four decks at play. Now, each of these decks are going to have two types of cards. The first type of card is going to basically be an agent card. It's going to be someone from that particular country that's going to be a a particular religion. So no matter if you're a Protestant or a Catholic, you can recruit these people to form a tableau. They're going to give you a special ability throughout the game. And based upon what die color you recruited them with, that's going to show how many rounds they're going to stay into play, just like your religion. So you're going to be able to utilize them throughout the game. Now, it may seem like you want to have them from the whole game, but when you use the die, you're keeping yourself from gaining resources from other areas or other cards. So... There's a careful balance here as far as how long is a person going to be picked up for. Maybe you have a die of a certain color that's going to be a six pip, but maybe you don't want to keep that character around that long. But once you do choose a character based upon the pip on the die, you're going to place a trading house in that area. And once a religious strife happens in that area, you will score the victory points based upon where your trading house is in that area. Now, other players will be able to bump you around to a lower position or even bump you off completely. People will be able to play different markers in those different kind of area control regions. So there's going to be a lot of ways to score victory points. Now, basically through this game, you are collecting resources and then you're trading those resources in based upon where you have trading houses in those particular cities. So there's a second way you score victory points. Finally, there's a small track on the bottom right corner and you're going to be able to utilize your dice there as well. That's going to give you special abilities, victory points, and allow you to trade on the map. That's really going to be the main cooperative engine of this game. Everyone's going to move their dice around. Everyone's going to take a special ability. And then they're going to be able to score those resources throughout the game. This game plays fast, but it's definitely not a filler. It's a very enjoyable game if you like tableau building. A Column of Fire is really interesting because there is a wonderful backstory behind all of this. And the second card that comes in these deck of cards is not just the agents, but there's event cards. Now, what's really dynamic about the game is once these event cards come out, they're going to affect different elements of the play. So if you happen to be a Catholic with X number of resources, you may be able to lose all those resources. Or a Protestant in a certain country, you may gain a lot of resources, or you might get bumped out. So it's really dynamic as far as how long can you press your luck until an event kind of shakes everything up. And in addition to that, the cards themselves, the event cards, are kind of historical and pretty dramatic. So it could be like there was a Protestant revolution and they killed 500 Catholics in England. You're like, wow. Okay. This game really <laughs> stepped up. It's uh, I guess, alternate universe yet historical kind of uh, feel here, but it's definitely something you should get to the table. See if you like, as far as playing the different characters and putting together a really interactive engine that's going to generate you resources and be able to trade with different places on the board. It's fun. It's fast. You're basically trying to get to 50 points. Once someone does that, the game comes to an end. You score your additional victory points, and then you have your victor in the game. So for a column of fire, I'm going to give this a play to see if it fits your particular gameplay, and especially that particular weight. I really enjoyed the game. As I said, it's not the heaviest of games, but it's definitely something that probably plays a pretty much everybody, whether they're a heavy gamer or just a light casual Euro gamer. That is quite the theme. That is. And
0: that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's, that's, I could see some interesting conversations being had. Yes. Over that game. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a different
1: take on this. And what's, like I said, it's, what's really funny is you actually have all the books to kind of fall back upon, not to mention the TV show and everything else. So you know, being good geeks, we like those extra kind of backstories and histories. So you have a game now that features all of that strife from religious history. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. But it's a really it's a really fun game. All right. So with that said, let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are gonna take a look at Board Game Geeks Top Hotness List. You may know this because Everything that's going on in board gaming, typically on one point or the other, ends up on Board Game Geek. And when those conversations happen, those games burn up and run up to the top of the chart. So Anthony's going to take us through those top 15 games and let us know why they're on the charts.
0: Anthony? All right. So the number one game this week on the hotness is Edge of Darkness. This is a card crafting game from AEG. It is on Kickstarter right now, and that is why it's up here. Um, this is actually the first card crafting game that John DeClaire made but they held off on it because it is a much larger more ambitious uh production with card crafting yes but also worker placement and deck building and like a cube type of cube tower in there and this big old tableau and beautiful artwork it's a big production uh so definitely check that out on kickstarter if it sounds interesting or if you like mystic veil vale but want something meatier number two is a little, little game you might have heard of called gloomhaven i think i made that joke last month so Maybe we'll just uh, have to start skipping over these ones that are just going to be up here forever. Number three is Rising Sun. This one's shipped out to everybody. Hopefully, everybody out there's got their copy. I finally got mine. I know, Chris, you finally got yours, right? Yeah, I did. All right. So I have not played it yet, but it is punched and ready to go. Um, It is really good. Ah, I got to get it out. (laughs) Uh, Next one up on the list is Eclipse Second Dawn. This is the second edition release of eclipse so they've kind of revamped the game it's coming out this year and so the artwork and some of the initial information about it has been put up on bgg and people are pretty excited about that Uh, next up is harry potter miniatures game Uh, this isn't coming out until next year but it is not just a straight up miniatures game um, from night models it's kind of an adventure game so it's got a full board it's got some, some rules mixed in there they have released almost no information about it yet but you can see pictures of the board and some information about it uh, and some people who like Harry Potter are very excited. Thunderstone Quest is the new version of Thunderstone that AEG kickstarted last year and people who backed it are getting it. So hence it's on the list. Uh, it is, uh, Thunderstone is one of the all-time favorite uh, deck builders for a lot of people. And this is the new version of that. So it's I'm excited to play it. Uh, next up is Spirit Island. Uh, this is my top game from 2017 and in my opinion, one of the best co-ops period out there so it should be on the list (laughs) uh it's a good one though definitely check that out the next one here is Sheon. this is a game about the terracotta army and it has dozens of these little terracotta figures on the board and that's all i know about it thus far because i haven't played it yet but it's coming from madagot here in the next few months i think it's out already in europe so be excited to kind of check this one out once it's available for us to try Uh, Terraforming Mars is still on the list and shall remain there as it should. (laughs) Um, I think it's up here on the list a little bit just because of the new expansion that just got announced um, that'll have additional asymmetrical powers that are going to impact how you start the game. So different starting conditions. Uh, That one's probably going to come out and uh, early summer probably around origins or little thereafter if, if we know anything about stronghold next up is batman gotham city chronicles this is the batman take on the conan uh system from monolith and this is going to hit kickstarter tomorrow if you're listening to this uh on the 26th so uh, check that out if you like conan or batman or adventure games or miniatures or any combination of those things i like at least three of the five so i'm going to check it out for sure uh, Wildlands is a new game from Martin Wallace, and it is being developed and released by Osprey Publishing. So that alone uh, has me excited just because Osprey's uh, productions are such high quality. Don't really know much about the game, but it does have miniatures, uh, and it don't see any stock related items on the board. So this seems to be one of Martin Wallace's newer, slightly different types of card games. So I'm pretty interested to see how this plays. The next one here is Dice Throne Season 1. This is the original release of Dice Throne. Uh, It just came out, and we did get a chance to check it out at the last couple conventions. It's very, very pretty. Uh, Gameplay-wise, kind of on the lighter end, got the Yahtzee mechanic in there, but beautiful artwork and very interesting characters. Season 2 is hitting Kickstarter um, very, very shortly, so that's probably why this one's up here. Plus, the game has been pretty popular and well-received. Next up is Gaia Project, the space sci-fi version of Terra Mystica that fixes everything I personally had a problem with in Terra Mystica, even though I really like that game. Fantastic heavy Euro. Definitely check it out. Scythe is up here as well, as another one of these games that's always on the list. Um, has that new expansion coming this year that I think a lot of people are still talking about. And then at the bottom of the top 15, we have Arkham Horror, the card game. Uh, The newest uh, pack came out for this just this last week, and that tends to always bump this thing back into the top 15. So there you have it, 15 from the hotness. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you
1: a seat at the table.